We're going to be out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. This is a, just like we talked about, how we're just marching through the text. We are able to uncover some very practical things that the Lord has called us to be a part of. And so many of us are married. Many of us may be married. All right. Many of us may be thinking about being married someday. All right. And so 1 Corinthians 7 is where we'll be out of. And as my brother said, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 through 16. Now, a little bit of background. We are in our Church Matters series dealing in the area of relationships. Since we are in discipleship mode here at Evergreen, we need to thrive in our relationships. And marriage is a huge part of life, right? Either you're married or you know people who are married. This is a big deal to be able to understand what Lord, the Lord has called us to be a part of. Now, divorce is the other side of marriage. This is when the commitment is broken and then we're two, which are one, now become divided. And in the Corinthian church and in Corinth in particular, divorce was a normal part of life. It was easy to get divorced. There are a variety of reasons to get divorced and it was part of their culture. But as Christianity grew in Corinth, different marriage dynamics started taking place. So we're going to cover these today out of 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. So please rise and follow along with me if you have your scriptures opened up in your Bible and your devices. This is God's word talking about three situations, three scenarios in marriage. Verse 10. But to the married I give instruction, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And that the wife should not, uh, that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. Verse thirteen. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Verse 16, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will allow me to preach your word with power and conviction and that your spirit will apply truth into our hearts so that we'll know and love your son more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, everybody, for all those transitions. Thank you. Thank you so much. We want to honor the Lord by standing and honor his word in it. Marriage stats, marriage stats, I've been studying this and preparing for this sermon, and it's, the stats show that Americans are less inclined to be married these days. Here's a stat to kind of indicate that, according to the Pew Research Center, in 2011, nine years ago, 51% of Americans were married, 51%, compared to 72% in 1960, all right? And many, instead of being married or acting married, cohabitating, right? So you should, we should ask ourselves, why is this happening? Why is this dynamic happening in this way? Perhaps it's because people are realizing marriage is a very challenging calling, amen? It's hard. 
For those of us who are married, we may have the greatest spouses, but even at that, it's challenging. Divorce is everywhere. I think people could see that divorce is everywhere. It's part of our culture like it was in Corinth. And we've all heard perhaps the stat of like 50% of marriages failing. You know, many of us have heard that. And so there, divorce has affected us in many ways. I mean, many of us would know. Family members were divorced. Many of us would know perhaps co-workers are divorced. Many of us would definitely know relatives who are divorced. Many of us know perhaps parents who are divorced. Maybe perhaps we're, our parents are divorced. So divorce has affected all of us. Perhaps right now as you're sitting here or even listening online, you're contemplating divorce. All right. Or perhaps you've been divorced. So this is a very important topic that we preach on today. It's amazing as you just go down sequentially down the text how the Lord just brings up these topics that were relevant 2,000 years ago, now definitely relevant in our day, in our time in 2021. Now before I start the sermon, I want to talk about the purpose of this sermon. This, the purpose of the sermon is not to condemn those who have been divorced. This is not the intent of that. Because I know as a pastor, I have the privilege of getting to know people and their the lives. And many precious people in our church family have been divorced. Right? And I know that the life's blows are already hard enough. You don't need me to make you feel bad. Okay, this is not the intent. Life is hard enough without me condemning. However, I know those who have been divorced would love for our church family to be informed. And to hear the truth of God's word so that we know what marriage is all about. So that we could protect one another. I know this is important. So the purpose of this sermon is to make clear what God has to say about marriage. This is what this is for. And also to strengthen our marriages that we're a part of. Or strengthen those who are preparing to be married someday. Right? So just so we could follow along easier, I have three main points. I'm going to give it to you ahead of time like last week. The first topic or first scenario that we're going to discuss is the, the marriage commitment with a believer. The second scenario that we're going to talk about is marriage commitment to an unbeliever. Right? And then the third scenario that we're going to talk about when marriage commitment is broken. All right? When the Lord rightfully says that marriage commitment is broken. So let's cover the first scenario. First scenario out of verse 10 and 11. Point number one, marriage commitment to a believer, fill in the blank, believer must be solid. That's what the Lord says. Let me read verse 10 again. To the married I give instruction, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Paul gives a command. This is not just, you know, I give you a suggestion. This is a command. I give instruction. In original language, talking about command or order. God is ordering through Paul a, a command to make very clear the expectations of marriage. In verse 10, it says that the wife should not leave her husband. In verse 11, the husband should not divorce his wife. Same standards. You know how Paul is raising up standards for the men and the women. I find this interesting because how Paul addresses the women first. I mean, although in the Greco-Roman world, women were allowed to leave their husbands, but generally they didn't. It was a man-driven action because the women were socioeconomically tied to the men. 
But it's interesting how Paul would talk about the women first here. But today, although it was prevalent in, in divorce was prevalent in the, the Corinthian culture, and usually the men are the one who initiated it, today either party uh, freely initiates divorce. And we know this. Could it be the husband or the wife? This is what happens. And I, I just believe there's more of an independent culture, right? This is how it is. And Charla and I, you know, before even becoming, uh, go, going to pastoral ministry, God's given us the precious privilege of joining together and counseling some couples. I mean, various couples over, over the years. And Christian couples at that, most of them. And this is oftentimes, whether from the husband or the wife, you know, who wants, who's initiating the divorce, you know, they, they'll say things such as, you know, we drifted apart, We're just, I'm just not happy anymore. Right? I'm just not happy no more. This is not exactly what I pictured. Right? And, and I would, you know, I would ask him, well, you know, sister, if it's the wife, I say, is there some adultery going on? No. Okay. All right. That's good. Is there some kind of physical abuse going on? No, not at all. I'm just not happy anymore. And I, and, and I believe that God wants me to be happy. Right? So if you were drawn into this type of Precious, I'd say very precious type of situation where someone actually trusts you to share that with you. What kind of biblical counsel would you give? What would you give? All right, so let's hear from the Lord what he says right here. Verse 10, Paul says something interesting here. He just, he just quotes or says something. He says, verse 10, I give instruction, not I, but the Lord. Right? In essence, what he's saying is Paul simply reminding the Corinthian church what Jesus has personally has taught on. And, and so let's just go to Matthew 19 here. This is what Brother Chris Chan read for us in the scripture reading. So thank you, brother, for reading and getting us ahead. But this is what he read for us out of verse 3, Matthew 19, verse 3. This is where a scenario shows up here where the Pharisees come to test Jesus. I mean, they're always trying to trap him now. The Pharisees were very sneaky, and they would use some kind of theological situations to trap Jesus because they were his enemies. So let me read here. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now this was a, this was a hornet's nest now they're trying to put, trap Jesus into. This was a very controversial topic, marriage and divorce at that, even at that time. And Jesus answered and said, he takes them right to the beginning. And, and have you not read that he who created them from beginning made them female, male and female? And he said, verse 5, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. All right. So verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Very clear. Jesus is saying, if you're married, you're joined together. Remember the analogy that I gave to you last week about two pieces of metal being welded together with hot, hot, with heat, intense heat, so that the metal become one. So you can, God has joined two to become united like that. And Jesus is saying, let no one tear that apart. Right. So Jesus is making clear now. I think Jesus' teaching is very clear. I don't think you need to go to a seminary to understand this. I don't think you need to consult a, a, a commentary to understand this. It's very clear, but hard to hear. I think this is not hard to comprehend, 
but hard to swallow perhaps. This is hard in, in, in light of our context and our culture today. In verse 7, they try to trap him. They spring a trap. Verse 7, they said to him, well, okay, good. You answered that way. Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Why? He, they go to Deuteronomy 24 to trap Jesus. Now, what this is like now in light of today's culture, I think I want to kind of provide some color to what this was like back then 2,000 years ago. This is like asking a politician about a controversial topic in a room full of Democrats and Republicans. This is like a political debate because one answer is going to offend the other and it's going to make the other happy. This is that because, like, because in the Jewish tradition, there's two main schools of thought on this, on Deuteronomy 24, about why did Moses give an uh, opportunity to get a divorce. Rabbi Shammai, this is one uh, school of thought. He was an Orthodox Jewish person and more on the conservative side. And he says divorce is only for unchastity, meaning for adultery. Whereas Rabbi Hillel is more on the liberal side. And he says divorce, even if she, divorce, even if she spoiled a dish for you. Right? I mean, you hear what I say. If she didn't cook a good meal, this is, this is grounds, for, if you want to, to get divorced. Two big departing positions. I mean, we're talking about abortion and so forth and so on. I mean, it's, it's this night and day, right, where two people may land politically. So this is the type of trap that Jesus was, uh, they're trying to have Jesus walk into. And, I'll, and I'm going to explain Jesus' answer later on down the sermon. All right? But the Lord clearly says, stay together. Marriage commitment, right? But here, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7 here, brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 7, 11 says this. But if she does leave, if she leaves, she has to leave. She must remain unmarried, all right? If she does leave, have her, she must stay unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Maybe be separated for a time and look to reconcile and forgive her husband, all right? Here's a pastoral issue. As a pastor, um, you know, just, I have two daughters. I am married. And one of the roles of, of pastors is to protect the flock. So my sisters, I, I just want to speak to you right now. If you or someone that you know is in a physically abusive relationship, how should you handle this? Not to keep it a secret, that's one. Involve the church. Tell other brothers and sisters that you trust. Tell pastors so that we can investigate and find out the whole story. Tell somebody in the church. This is what the church is here for. It's not meant to be kept a secret. right? Some, some of us may feel shameful like this is happening or trying to protect the other person. That's not okay. Bring it to the light. Tell it to the church, those who you are in relationship with, those who you trust. Shed light on the situation. If there's any criminal activity, feel free to involve the authorities. This is why God has the government. This is why God has authorities in place to protect people, to keep order. So... I, Brothers and sisters, if there is a situation like that, involve the church, involve other people, receive counsel, receive covering, and, and, and get to a safe place. 
I think about my own daughters. What would I tell them? Get to a safe place. Let's find time to sort this out. All right? So there are, there are reasons to separate for a time, perhaps. All right? There are time. There are, there's reasons to separate. Let's go to point number two, second scenario here. Marriage commitment to an unbeliever must be solid as well. All right? Some may call this unequally yoked marriages where one's a Christian and the other is not. And verse 12 here, let me read again verse 12 and 13. But to the rest, I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband, he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. Same standard again. See how Paul is elevating the man and woman here? Same standard. And I just want to keep reminding us, this is completely countercultural how Paul thought and taught. He was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He's teaching things that are straight from God. Now, I want to just address one thing here. You might find something odd here. Earlier, it says that the Lord was giving a command right here. In verse 12, it says, uh, it says but to the rest, I say, I say, not the Lord. Okay, what does this mean? Is this Paul just giving some kind of a suggestion? This is not as authoritative as the other command? No, 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 not at all. That just meant that Paul was quoting a, a, a teaching principle or re referencing a teaching principle that Jesus taught personally. Right? And there it was in the gospel, Matthew, in Matthew 19. But now Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is giving new revelation to address newer, more prevalent situations that were taking place in Corinth. Think about it. Why is Paul addressing this? Do you think uh, uh, Corinthian believers are marrying unbelievers? Maybe, but most of the situations were this. Remember, the church was just birthed. Remember in Acts 18, I believe, uh, Paul preaches and many come to know Christ. So that means they were already People who were married to non-believers were married already. And then either the husband or the wife become saved. And now they're instantly they're in an unequally yoked situation. So this is where how the Lord is presenting and addressing a new or more prevalent type of situation. But this is still obviously authoritative. This is still uh, God's word. And But today... How are unequally yoked marriages happening? Well, one, it could happen this way where someone marriage happens first and the, one of the spouses come to know Christ. That could happen, right? But also it could happen where a believer just chooses to marry an unbeliever, right? 1 Corinthians 7.39 says that only in the Lord, meaning Christians are supposed to marry Christians, right? And there's a reason for this. And, and some people who enter into these marriage unions... They could do it out of ignorance. They just don't know. Perhaps they're young baby Christians. They just don't know. Like, All right, you know, this is what I'm doing. That could happen. Or it just could be flat out disobedience. Right? I have to marry this person, right? Or perhaps this person will come to Christ after I marry them, right? That could be the case. The Lord clearly says in 1 Corinthians 7, 39, only in the Lord, okay? Now, why is this important, especially those of us who are single right now? Why is this so important to be married to another Christian? Well, think about it. Genuine Christian fellowship is birthed when we have 
and share the common convictions. We believe the same things. Genuine Christian fellowship happens when we, have, we share common affections. We love the same God. His name is Jesus. Common, uh, genuine Christian fellowship happens when we have and share common goals. Discipleship. So how can a believer and a non-believer have the same goals? They don't. That's why it's very, very difficult to be in unequally yoked marriage. For Solomon is an example. King Solomon from the Old Testament, First King chapter, First Kings chapter three says that he married Pharaoh's daughter. All right, what does that mean? That means that she wasn't part of the Jewish faith. And in First Corinthians, I mean First Kings eleven, excuse me, First Kings eleven. This is that his many, one problem is that he had many wives, but his foreign wives turned his heart away from God. The negative impact is there. It even happened to the wisest man to ever walk the earth. Now, I want to address those precious brothers and sisters who are in a, perhaps an unequally yoked situation right now, right? For whatever reason. For whatever reason, I believe Paul provides incredible encouragement in verse 14 here. He gives a purpose for why to stay together. Isn't it important to know that there's a purpose? And I believe he gives encouragement and much hope here in verse 14. For or because, all right, stay together with your unbelieving spouse because the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her, un- through her believing husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. What is this saying? This is not guaranteeing that, you know, if you stay with your unbelieving spouse, that they will become Christians. What this is saying is this, that your spouse and your children are sanctified. That means that they're set apart. That that they will experience some blessings by you staying in the home with them. John Calvin, the great reformer, writes about this topic. The godliness of the one does more to sanctify the marriage than the ungodliness of the other to make it unclean. Meaning, the Christian's impact is going to be greater. Light is stronger than darkness. This is what John Calvin is saying. You will have a positive impact on your spouse, whom you love, and your children, if you have any, who you love dearly as well. So how does this happen? I I believe the positive impact comes in, I just call it overflow blessing. What does that mean, Pastor? Overflow blessing means this, that God loves his children. And if you're a child of God, that means God loves you. And God's going to care for you. God's going to protect you. And those around you will feel some of that effect. I mean, you just know how the Lord sometimes blesses organizations, companies, families, just because of the godly. Look how God spared Sodom and Gomorrah. All right, out of Genesis, just for the few righteous. So in a marriage where there's one believer who's living faithfully for Christ, there's some overflow blessing that comes upon your non-believing spouse and to your children. And also I believe there's just a natural blessing that takes place. Think about it. If you are a man or woman of integrity, you're just an honest person because that's the way of the Lord, your children learn to be honest. You'll learn to, your family will learn to live in security and honesty. So when you simply just live for the Lord, there's just a practical blessing that comes out of it as well. So Paul says, stay 
married, even if you're to an unbeliever. I think that's incredibly encouraging. Paul is a true pastor. He makes sure to cover his bases and, and just see, uh, give reasons for hope in these dif- difficult situations. Also, there's an opportunity to evangelize, to evangelize your spouse and your children. First Peter 3, 1 and 2 talks about how, how your husbands or spouses could be turned to the Lord just by your good behavior. Right? These are important things to keep in mind. This is where hope is alive. As you're praying for your husband or your wife who's not a believer, that you continue to continue to live for Christ and you love your spouse well. You submit if you're a wife. If you're a husband, you lead well, gently, patiently, that they would come to know Christ. I just want to just give a, another word of encouragement, perhaps if you're a mother. I, I believe that husbands have a unique influence over their children. I, I understand this. So if you're a brother who's married in an unequally yoked situation, lead, keep leading, brother. Have other men come alongside you to support you, encourage you, but keep leading. Keep emphasizing the things that are important. Keep praying for your children. But I want to encourage the sisters here. There's no more powerful influence in a child's life than a godly mother. As I read through Acts 16, I, I, I see how Paul comes along and adopts Timothy as his disciple in Lystra. And there's Lois and Eunice, grandmother and mother, who raised Timothy. And it says that their husband, Eunice's husband or father of Timothy, was a Greek. That ba- says it twice, basically saying either you know, he, he, he's not a believer and they turned out Timothy, who was an amazing man of God, who becomes a pastor of Ephesus, who is a faithful companion to Paul. And Brother Timothy becomes a man who's on fire for Christ. How did Lois and Eunice do this? 2 Timothy 1.5. Write that down if you need to remember. 2 Timothy 1.5 says this, Lois and Eunice had a sincere faith. They just simply lived out their faith, a genuine faith Timothy could see. This is important for us to remember. So sisters, you're not alone in this. God has called you to be a part of a powerful ministry. And let Lois and Eunice be a a word of encouragement for you. God knows your greatest desires. God knows that you desire for your husbands and your, or your wives to come to know Christ. God knows that you desire for your children to love Christ. Live faithfully and entrust them to God. Okay? Now let's cover the third scenario. Third scenario is this. Speaking about when marriage uh, commitment is broken. So however marriage commitment is broken, fill in the blank, broken when... And here it is. This is where we're going to learn when the Lord allows for separation to take place and for remarriage to take place. Not just physical separation, but separation from the marriage commitment and to be married to another person. Well, one reason that the Bible gives is this. Romans 7, uh, chapter 7, 2 and 3 talks about death. If your spouse passes away, you are free to remarry. And perhaps some of us know this as, as being elementary, but Rare it is. Romans 7 says, death frees you from your commitment to your spouse, right? And you're free to remarry. But verse 15 introduces another situation here. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, 
Let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. Abandonment. If a brother or sister is abandoned by their spouse, the Bible says they are free to live at peace. Verse 16 says, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't know if you're going to save your husband by staying with them. If they leave, perhaps that's God's grace on your life to move on. Amen? So God is gracious too in understanding some very difficult situations. So no longer obligated to stay unmarried, but the Bible says right here, if your spouse abandons you, you're free to leave and marry another person if the Lord provides you that. Or to remain single. Or to remain single. Perhaps the Lord has given you a gift of singleness like we talked about earlier. But let's cover the, another topic here. Let's go back to Matthew 19. If you have your Bibles, follow along. It's a lot easier. Matthew 19. We're going to cover another topic, another scenario where a, a couple may dissolve their marriage, according to the Lord. So let me read verse 7 again. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Right? There's that trap that they set for Jesus, and this is what the Lord says. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. This, he gave you an allowance because of the hardness of your heart. What does this mean, Rocky? What this means is this, the, the Israelites were so hardened in the heart that they were so idolatrous that some marriages were just so defiled that Moses permitted gave an allowance to separate in those difficult situations. This is what the Lord is saying. But from the beginning, it, was not, it has not been this way. Meaning the beginning, when God designed marriage, when Jesus designed marriage, it was not meant to be this way. But it got defiled because of the hardness of the Israelites' hearts. Now verse 9. This is the third scenario where one may... Uh, freely leave. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality, speaking of adultery right there, brothers and sisters, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Meaning, if your husband or wife is, has been unfaithful to you in this area, the Lord gives you an allowance. Not a command now. Let me be very clear about this. This is not a command to leave. This is an allowance the Bible says in Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, have you done everything to reconcile? Have you done everything in your power to forgive and to make that marriage work? We've heard a testimony here by uh, Sister Shannon where this loving husband graciously forgave his wife. So the Lord isn't commanding people in this situation to get divorced but gives an allowance graciously gives an allowance if this is just too much to bear it's like a last last resort right this is a last resort that we're talking about right here this is not a first step that we take now it's an interesting thing here in verse 15 here just turn with me back to corinthians sorry back to corinthians i want us to just look at this verse here one word here at the end, it says, but God has called us to peace. That word, us. In the ESV, it says, you. 
because some manuscripts has you in it, but many uh, manuscripts has us. Why does Paul say, but God has called us to peace? Let's go into Paul's life a little bit. We know Paul as the great apostle. I mean, next to Christ, I mean, I respect Paul. He's kind of like my role model in some ways. He's a phenomenal pastor. He wrote much of the New Testament. He's on fire for Christ. I mean, this guy is fearless and bold. I mean, this is a Christian hero. But Paul says, us. Well, Paul, I think, I believe Paul has a marriage testimony. I believe Paul has a marriage testimony, which he probably shared with the Corinthians. For Paul... His little bit of background. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He lived as a Pharisee. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the elite group of uh, religious ruling people in Judaism at the time. And in order to be part of this unique group, you had to have been married. They had some regulations where you had to be married. And so Paul, at one time, must have been married. But verse 8 of chapter 7 of Corinthians says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain as I. Paul clearly says that he's single. Either he's a widower where his wife died, right? Could have happened. Or perhaps in Acts 9 when Jesus comes and gets him, controls him, knocks him off his high horse and he becomes a new believer. Perhaps when word got back to his wife, Maybe the Lord had him freed up when the wife abandoned him. Could that be? We don't know for sure, but we could ask Paul someday. But right here he says this, but God has called us to peace. Paul suffered much, right? Remember in Acts 9, he goes, I must show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffering is huge in marriage. I mean, we understand this. I mean, even in good marriages that, that are thriving, there's hardships that take place. I mean, Charlotte and I, we have our tension too as well. But in marriages where a spouse is abandoned, can you imagine the pain that's, that's part of that? Paul is sharing his scars, perhaps, to the Corinthian church right here. I just find it very interesting and actually encouraging too. Someone such as Paul Stature may have been part of a failed marriage. I mean, think about that. And he's the one giving so much counsel and, 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 and commands on marriage. Can you see what I'm saying? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me finish up here with some application here. I want to give some application here. Let me address the singles here who are thinking about getting married. Perhaps, uh, you know, you're thinking about it. Perhaps you're engaged, right? I have the blessing of being part of some weddings recently and part of some premarital counseling. Number one, I'd say this, singles. Know what you're looking for. When you look at your fiancé, look at this man or woman in your heart of hearts. Do they love Christ, Right? You could tell when someone's on fire for Christ. Do they love Christ? That's, what I, that's something I tell my sons and daughters. Do they love Christ? Can, if you're a woman, if you're a sister, can this man that you're staring at right now be your pastor? I know I'm a vocational pastor, but the men, you are the pastors of your home. You understand this. Can you submit to this man's spiritual leadership? You should ask yourselves these things. 
my brothers, as you look at your fiancés, you know, can this woman, can I see her submitting to my leadership? Ask these questions ahead of time in yourself. Ask other people that you trust. They could kind of see things a little clearer sometimes, you know. And be very clear what marriage is about. It's more than happiness. It's about holiness. Basically, you're committing to a lifelong discipleship partner. And they're going to help you become more like Christ, either through positive things in their lives or even sin that's going to help you grow as a follower of Christ. This is about discipleship. It's about holiness. Secondly, let me address the second group. Those who are divorced in an unbiblical manner. I covered three areas through death. You could get remarried um, through uh, abandonment and through adultery. Perhaps... Perhaps you've been part of a divorce and you've already remarried. What should I say to you? What would I say? I've been praying about this. We have, some, we have a lot of different type of people in our church family. And I want to say this. If need to still, repent. Take it to the Lord and repent. And it would be helpful for you to ask forgiveness of the spouse that you left. Ask for forgiveness. And if you are already remarried, right? Some of us have children already. If you're already remarried, remain faithful to your current spouse, right? What did our Lord say in John 8 to the woman caught in adultery? Who condemns you, woman? No one, Lord, she says. Neither do I. He says this, go, right? From now on, sin no more. Receive the forgiveness and grace that's offered through the gospel and sin no more. All right? Now I want to give a third application to a third group of people. Perhaps you're, you are married and you are thinking about divorce right now. You're thinking about it. You're contemplating, should I divorce my husband or my spouse? First of all, consider all of the Lord's allowances that we covered. Does it fit under these? Does God give you an actual allowance in this? Not a command, but an allowance to leave and to, to leave your husband or your wife. But also utilize the one another's. All right? Utilize the one another's. What do I mean by that? Allow other brothers and sisters to, to be in on this, to help you, to support you through this. Obviously, this should be a gender-appropriate uh, uh, um, uh, support of one another, meaning husbands or brothers should seek out other brothers. I don't think it's healthy for a brother to seek out a sister for counsel in this area for obvious reasons. If you're a sister, find a sister. If you're, if you're willing to meet as a couple, find another couple that will sit with you and walk with you. Let others in on this. You're not alone in these struggles. We all go through hard things in our marriage. All of us. Don't think that there's a perfect marriage out there. And our church actually provides support. If you want to get involved with any support, whether you're struggling or not, you know, this is just because you joined the support doesn't mean you're struggling. Sometimes it's, 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 it's a preemptive, you know. You, you want to make sure you're undergirded so that you could be ahead of the game. MC Squared, Married Couples in Christ, is a ministry that we have. And February 5th, they're going to have another meeting. Next is their next meeting. Right now, for now, it's on a Zoom format. 
If you're interested, like as we talk about, go on your app, Evergreen SGV app, and it's on your announcements. You could click on it, and you could get signed up. This is, will be, there'll be some teaching, there'll be some fellowship. This is an opportunity for, to talk to other brothers and sisters who understand what you're going through. MC squared. And currently, we're also led by Pastor Dan Christian. We're look, working to develop a biblical counseling ministry because we want to equip one of us, one another, to help each other in this way. Life isn't perfect. But this is where we have one another to care for one another. I encourage you to reach out to another brother or sister. Get involved with one of these ministries to help each other out. Now, to finish up here, this was a challenging sermon for me um, in a lot of ways, but I've told you about some of those couples that Charlotte and I counseled and how they ended up getting divorced. They just said, I just want to be happy. And they end up getting divorced. Very sad. But I want to give you another story here. Back in 2015, it was training camp. It was still dark in Seattle. It gets, it gets it's dark in the early mornings. And I was in the copy machine room getting some copies ready for the coaches before our staff meeting. And one of my brothers, our brothers, came up to me, hey, Rocky, can I talk to you after the meeting? I said, of course. And so we have our staff meeting, and then I go into my office, and here he comes. Dave comes into the office, and he goes, Rocky, I just want you to know something. I said, what's going on? And so we've been together for six years now. I mean, we're coaching together. And Dave says, you know what, there's a reason why perhaps you and I haven't been super close. I mean, you know, I've been kind of standoffish with you. And I said, why is that? Because I thought to myself, you know, normally with other Christians, we get really tight with each other, you know, especially in that type of environment, secular environment. You get really tight with other brothers. And for whatever reason, he was right. It, was just, it wasn't clicking, you know. Maybe it's personality or whatnot. He goes, you know what, Rocky? The reason why is this. Being around you didn't make me feel good. I said, what do you mean? I said, I know you live for Christ. I know you have a certain standard. And, and he grew up, he's a Christian, and he goes, I knew, I knew better. Basically, he confessed to me he's, having, he's been having adulterous relationships with other women. He's been, he was married and repeated relationships. He goes, I, I, you just made me feel uncomfortable. And he goes, I want you to be my accountability partner. I want to be able to walk with you. When we go on the road, I want to travel with you. I want to hang out. And I was like, of course, I would love that. That's what I've been hoping for. In, in general, I've, I, I love that sort of a thing. I mean, this man is one of my dearest friends. I love Dave so much. And I, he came to me broken. He came to me like, I'm repentant of this. I said, of course. And I want to read something for 2 Corinthians 8, I mean, chapter 5, verse 18. This came to my mind as I was thinking about Dave this week. Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of reconciliation, namely that God, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he, was, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors. Christians are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
And as I was thinking about Brother Dave, I thought about his wife, Lizzie, precious sister. <laughs> what an amazing woman. He, eventually, he confessed these things to Lizzie. Lizzie forgave him. These, this husband and wife are on fire for Christ. They love Christ. And they've openly shared about their struggles. They've, they've chosen to use this as a ministry opportunity to support other couples. They've redeemed this situation. And for Lizzie, although she forgave, and, and is, it's a process. It's not easy. It's, a, it's up and down battles. But it's a process. But this sister's in it. And a little bit of background for, for about Dave and, and Lizzie. Dave is the passing game coordinator, you know, one of the coaches in Seattle. But both of them grew up in Christian homes. They both, both graduated from Azusa Pacific, up the freeway from here. Dave's a pastor's son. Think about that. Some of us have grew up in church or part of church circles. This may be hard to admit things like this. This may be very difficult because you know better. Some ways it's easier to confess these things in a secular environment because perhaps it's more normal or more accepted. But in the church, we need to be like this where we're able to embrace brothers and sisters who are repentant and who want to be restored. Church is not a place for perfect people. We know this. Church is a place for people who know they're not perfect. Amen? And really, as I think about Dave and Lizzie and, and this ministry reconciliation, as they're using this to advance the gospel, I just see how they're, this couple is living this out. It's demonstrating the power of the gospel in their lives. Think about the witness this is providing. We're like, whoa, you're able to forgive him of that? You guys are able to work through that? It's only by Jesus, guys. It's only by the blood of Christ. These are the things that screams to a world that's looking for real. They know these things are hard. But they also see that the power of Christ in their lives. So brother or sister who's contemplating divorce, I just appeal to you, exhaust every every, 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 everything that you have to reconcile. Perhaps it's not possible, but exhaust everything. With the gospel, all things are possible. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to uh, preach your word. Thank you, Lord, for the, uh, just the power of the gospel in our lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are so good. Thank you for the preciousness of marriage. But I thank you also that marriage does not define who we are. Christ, you define us as you define the, the Canales family, Dave and Lizzie, they're defined by your love. And I pray at Evergreen SGV that we will be defined by your love and your commitment to us. Where marriage and having children and other things may describe us, but Jesus, you define who we are. So, Lord, I pray for those marriages who are in a very difficult place. I pray for comfort. I pray for hope. I pray for a renewed view of what the gospel means. It means everything to us. And so, Father, I pray for those areas that have been damaged, that be, there will be healing, Lord, that you will bring back that union, that commitment for one another, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for this opportunity to preach upon the power of the gospel. And I thank you, Jesus, how you are committed to us. 
Even in our own ugliness, you love us. Even in our setbacks, you store with us. Even when we kick and scream, you hold us in your arms. You'll not, you'll not allow anyone to snatch us out of your arms. Thank you for your commitment to us. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.